again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the the church you've given us, and thank you that uh, your church is far beyond this local expression. And we thank you for her and her beauty and the way you're uh, grooming her to be uh, prettier and prettier. And we pray that would be the case here. We would steward well uh, the time, the talent, the resources that you've given to this church. May we steward them so well that you would be honored more in the next 40 years than you were in the first. So grant that, and we thank you. So we give you uh, thanks for this time in your word. Open our hearts as well as our minds that we may receive truth from you and be blessed by it. But more importantly, we may honor you because of it. That's our request. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that uh, many of you have been coming new since I have left for those four or five weeks that I've been gone. And so uh, I, I want to review for you that are a part of the series already. It's a series on the law. We're calling it the lovable law. Uh, many of you need to kind of be refreshed with the bigger thought. And then for you that have come in new, I want to give you just a, a nugget of thought that might help you jump in with us as we are now in the sixth command. So we're halfway through the Ten Commandments. Now, I want you to understand this. The law is our friend. The law is our friend. We should never think, oh, the law is that thing that, oh, thank you for grace, God, that we can finally get rid of law. No, that is not the way to look at the law. Even as David said, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. That should be the heart of all. How does that happen that we would love a law that restricts us from doing a lot of things that we otherwise would enjoy doing? The, the reason is because we have a relationship with the giver of the law. And to the degree that love is really in that relationship, then the law becomes more attractive. That's the way it works. In fact, we can use the law and our, our thoughts and feeling toward the law to help evaluate our relationship with God and how much we might love Him. It really is a great reflection to where we are spiritually. We've used the, the concept of the grooming laws of a, a little boy who will never groom until he meets a little girl. And then he begins to start thinking about how I look and smell. That becomes important because now there is someone that is so important. The same thing is true with God's law. But even beyond that, the law becomes stipulations. And we spent the first week or two of this series just laying the foundation of how the law is a stipulation to relationship of love. If we're in a relationship engaged to be married, man and woman, we're prepared to be married, it is vital that we have stipulations. Whether we have stated them formally or not, we better be in agreement that, hey, as we come together, there's not going to be any more dating, no more loves out there for other women or for other men. No, no, no. It's now each other 
And that's a stipulation for a good love relationship. In a similar way, God says, hey, you shouldn't have any other gods. No more gods. I'll be your God. You leave the others alone. Nobody finds a better relationship with God chasing after other gods. And the same way, the law is given as our friend. Young people, don't believe what you might feel that this is restricting from a freer, better life. It is not. We'll talk more about that at the end. But that's just a, a basic big picture. I want you to know this, that the law, it, it has different usages. Three are often talked about that are the, the three primary usages of the law. The law in the first place does what hurts. It shows us the sin of our hearts. It's like a mirror that we look into and we see that mirror. It'd be as if we were, had never seen ourselves since a, a, a very handsome little boy, a very beautiful little girl, and we thought of ourselves as very attractive. And then all of a sudden, we have to go for years and years and years and years without ever seeing a mirror. And then we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. We say, oh my goodness, it's not as pretty as I thought it was. It's not as handsome as I assumed that I would be, and, and it makes you feel bad because you want to be beautiful. You want to be handsome. It, it doesn't serve us in helping in that way at all. What it really does is show us who we really are. But then the law does never stop there. The design of the law then is to be a tutor, as Paul says in the book of Galatians, to take us to Jesus, who is the great physician that makes us beautiful. And we come to him, and he turns our heart afresh to be pretty. He makes us to be people that are attractive to others in the sense of, look at their character. I want to be like them. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that Jesus does when we meet him. And then, right in alignment with that, the law also is used to take our life as it is, our love, and to enhance that love. So the more we find ourselves in line with the laws of God, the more our love relationship with him grows, the better it gets. Joy, peace, all the things we're looking for begins to be a part of life. So don't discount the law. Don't put it aside thinking, yay, grace. Let's always talk about grace. That's the only thing good. Grace, have to have it. Law, have to have it. The only way they butt heads is if we start talking about salvation by law versus salvation by grace. Then push it away. No. But beyond that, yes. Now, keep in mind that the ten laws that we have that were given early in God's revelation are it really is the moral law in summary. It really is just a summary of law. Because any excellent theologian, somebody who's well-trained, can do a very good job, better than the average of us would do, to be able to take every single law and be able to say, this one goes under number six, this one goes under number three, this one goes under number one. These laws cradle hundreds of laws. Every moral requirement in God's Word some way relates to one of the ten. 
Now, I realize that many of you that have been in this series from week one, uh, you've, you've probably felt, hey, I got hammered pretty good by God's law. Those five were tough. And now you think, I'm happy for number six to be here because finally there's one that I'm doing okay with. Don't rest too easy, okay? <laughs> you know the sixth command? We'll put it up. It's so short, don't even need it in print. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now, the word murder that's used in our text, its usual use has to do with the taking of life of an enemy. It's killing someone in a sense of, I don't like you, and I'm, I'm going to take your life. That's forbidden. What this law is not saying is it's wrong to kill anything. There are people who believe you shouldn't kill insects. There are people that believe, hey, you, you shouldn't kill a plant. You should never let, no, you can't do anything to harm anything that has life. Now, it is true that God, he loves his creation. But we are to subdue that creation. It's ours to rule over that creation. And that's not forbidden in that regard, that you can never kill anything alive. But what we're not to kill is the human being. Every other thing made in its own kind, correct, it's within its own kind, and it reproduces. But there is the human being made and to continually reproduce in its own kind, but it is also in the image of God. And for that reason, you do not take that life. Now, we need to understand this, that there are some exceptions that we're going to look at in a very quick minute. We're going to come to it in just a few minutes, but there are exceptions. There are exceptions where we are given permission to take human life. There is time that we are literally required to take human life. So there are exceptions. There'll be three of them. We'll look at them. But what I want to do now is I want to look at the bigger picture of the law, and I want to do this under the title of Murder Weapons. I don't know, I've been using this for years as I've taught this particular or thought about this particular text, but I can't remember. Did I ever hear this from somebody else? It was original me? I don't know, and it doesn't matter. But these three murder weapons is a great way for us to keep in mind that this thing is not just what we might initially think it is. So let me, let me start with the first of three murder weapons. The first one I'll call pistols. Just as something to remember, to picture in our mind, pistols. That is something that is used to physically take the life of somebody else. Now, as we talk about pistols, very important to understand, there is a consequence to using this pistol. If we take someone's human life, God's word says, our life should be taken. Controversial subject today. Look at Genesis, where very early in the first book of God's revelation, Genesis 9, this is what we read. In verse 6, it says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Now, I know that some of the strongest proponents against the idea of capital punishment 
are people who are very strong in their religious sphere. And in the sense of mercy and kindness and so forth and love, no, we shouldn't do it. There's an argument that Christians are making all over that says, oh, that's like the Old Testament stuff that we don't really follow today. We need to understand what I'm going to call a hermeneutic. It is called a hermeneutic, which is just a principle of interpreting the Bible. You need to know this. There were laws given in the Mosaic law. That's when Moses gave all the details that flow out of this. When you finish the giving of the Ten Commandments, you start seeing all these laws and so forth, and then you're going to see cleansing laws, you're going to see Sabbath laws, you're going to see all kinds of things. Those are being designed for the people of Israel, and much of that is going to be absolutely not necessary, and God is going to release those laws when now nations are brought into being. And each nation now has their God-given authority in their leadership. Whether they're pagan or not, doesn't matter. They are still a God-given authority. And we obey that now rather than those things. But a hermeneutic, a good hermeneutic is that when something comes prior to that, which certainly this is in the case, that that is to be assumed forever unless some way specifically said it would not exist for this reason. So there's nothing biblically to lead somebody, in my opinion, and I can be wrong, and I keep always saying that, I am a human, fallible, look at things, they're great, wonderful people who would you know, disagree, I'm sure, but all I'd say to you as a, as a Christian, and you even use that are seekers trying to figure out you know, what this faith is all about, don't live life saying, I'll believe what I want to believe, and I'll, and I'll find out a way to let the Bible support it. What you want to do is honestly, with integrity, go into it and say, based on everything I know, at least right now, do I think that the Bible teaches this or not? And then lock in on that and say, that's going to be best. I'll tell you, young people, my, my history, my story as a Christian has been now, every time I've seen something through the early years saying, I don't like that, I don't get that, it doesn't make sense to me. And then as I've become older and gotten in the word more and understood, been taught more, I go, oh, and now I go, hey, that's good. That's important. So you want, to, you want to latch on to that which we believe to be God's Word. And I'm going to suggest to you that the consequence of taking life is that one should lose their life. Now, there's going to be some issue of how that should take place, as we'll look at in just a minute. In fact, let's look at the exceptions. There are three exceptions that we need to always keep in mind. And, and the bigger umbrella of these three exceptions would be the term self-defense. There is the right of self-defense. Three ways. Number one, personal self-defense. In the Old Testament, there were what were called cities of refuge. And they were cities placed strategically all through the, uh, the area where Israel had their borders. So you could at any time, if there were a conflict between families, the the Hatfield and the McCoys are going at it, and they're boom, 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 and, and, and something happens, and one may be very unintentionally and accidentally kills somebody in the other family. Well, that family didn't like them anyway, and so we're going to get you, and we're going to kill you. That was not their right to do so. And so there was a place where they could run, the innocent one could run, and go into that city and find protection so that the judgment could be made by the higher authorities innocent or guilty. 
And so it was always to be understood that, that there is a place for self-defense and therefore they would even show there's a place where they could be released and then they were not held, held responsible if it was in self-defense. So the law would allow that for personal self-defense. Number two, societal self-defense. This is where the magistrate or the government has been given authority in God's law and a little 35-minute time here cannot get into all the detail of this, obviously, but they are given responsibility to protect innocent lives, the citizens of that land. Now, there was a rule that they were to follow given by God, lex taliani is what it became called, which was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, equal judgment for equal punishment. So if somebody punches out the other person's eye, well, you're not to have this person put to death for that who did it. They should have something on the equivalency of an eye, that level of pain and suffering. Death for death, tooth for tooth, whatever it may be. That was the standard of God that he says it should be fair, but there should be punishment and that the government has the right to exact that punishment. Now you come to a text in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Look at this. Very interesting. This is Jesus. He's giving uh, in the Sermon on the Mount a teaching here. And he says, you have heard that it was said. Now, all you that want to learn the Bible and understand it, kids, young people, youth, get this. You have heard, whenever you read, it has, or you have heard that it was said. Know that whatever is coming is either a twisted truth by the words have been changed, and therefore this is not what God has said, or it's the exact words, but it's been pulled out of context, and Jesus is going to correct it. So he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, God's word says that. But I say to you, now what he's really getting to here is, through the text, you're going to see, what he's getting to is, hey, this has been twisted to mean something different. But I say to you, do not resist whom he, him who is evil. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, just previous to these, you've heard that it was said, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. He says, do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And then he goes into this, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he keeps repeating very many different things. You know what he's saying here? He's simply trying to make it very, very clear that, hey, where they took this out of context is it's been twisted. And if you want to know what really is true, you'll always hear it this way. It is written. So he is actually coming back to what is written in the law that has never changed. And he says, personally, when someone slaps you on the cheek, you turned in the other also. 
Now, when somebody slaps you in the cheek in such a way that you lose, lose your sight, you break your jaw, whatever, whatever it may be, when that happens, the government has the responsibility to make sure that that person pays eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He's just pushing it down saying, wait, it's always been meant to be true, eye for eye. But that's the magistrate. That's not personally. That's not personally. Now, the slap. Uh, it didn't kill me. I, I, it may have hurt my feelings a whole lot more than it hurt my face when somebody does that. He says, well, turn the cheek. Now, somebody is about to shoot you? You have the right to self-defense because you need to protect life. You need to protect your own life. There's nothing wrong with that. So, personal self-defense, societal self-defense. By the way, the next one, very controversial in this day and time, national self-defense. We have political division on this whole issue. It's interesting in Luke 3, Jesus had a man come up to him, and for time I won't go to read the text, so I intended to, but it basically happens this way. Jesus, what do I do? Here's a soldier. He comes up. He's got a sword. So, I mean, he's, well, Jesus, you're talking about all this stuff. What do I do? And his answer, Jesus' answer is simply to say, be fair and fulfill your duties. He didn't say, drop the sword. You can't use it. It's not appropriate. He said, no, no, no. You're with the civil magistrate. You just, you be fair. You follow your responsibilities. One thing is sure, that war, though it's not forbidden of God, it must be a just war. John Calvin wrote a volume almost, I mean, just an incredible amount of material on this whole issue of what is a just war. Well, people's consciences read that differently. I think this is a just war. I don't think it's a just war. And so the lawgivers in our early days, many of which were Christians, most all of which were influenced by the Bible and trying to come close to it. You know what they said? They said, hey, we need to allow people a little bit of judgment here and let their conscience rule. Let's call it, you can be a, a conscientious objector. You can actually say, I, I, I can't do, I don't think this is just war, and therefore I can't. And that, if that's really my motive and heart, and they think it is, and say, okay, then you should be exempt from ever having to carry a gun and shoot at anybody. That shouldn't happen. Common uses of the pistol, abortion, euthanasia, infanticide. Let me say this before we move on. Let me say that others' protection of life should always precede our own quality of life. There should never be a time we say, I have the right to take your life because if I don't take your life, my quality of life is not going to be what I think it should be. So I'm going to let my quality rule over your protection of life. No. If we do that, we are going against God's word. No doubt about it. Suicide. What a subject of today. The Bible would say it's wrong to take your own life. Well, let me ask you this, is it, is it the unpardonable sin? Well, that's a hangover from a Roman view that would say, 
oh, you know, it depends on where you are when you die, whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not, because it's all about works and, you know, and this is, you just ended with a bad work and therefore you're in trouble and therefore you won't go to heaven. That's not true, not according to the Bible. I hope you don't believe that. Can real Christians take their own lives? Absolutely they can. I would suspect that through this weekend, last night and today, there may be a dozen, two or three people in this church who are honestly thinking about taking their life. And the rest of the people here are going to say, I can't imagine, I can't even imagine taking my life. How does somebody do that? Well, that dozen or dozens of people that are sitting here today, they're thinking this way. I don't know how I don't take my life. I can't imagine how am I going to not do it because I'm in so much pain. I, I just got to, I, I can't do it any longer. I just can't do life. Let me say this, that if someone does take their life, you don't lose your salvation. But somebody who says as a Christian, hey, I'm going to take my life because life is so painful, so, so bad, blah, 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 blah. Therefore, I'm going to be a lot happier. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be able to be through with all this stuff. It's just going to be far better. Yeah, it's, it's going to be better. You will regret that you did it. My view of it is anything you know after you've done it, you will regret then and wish you hadn't done it, then you don't want to do it now. But what you need to do is get help because let me tell you, Life can be so painful, it can blur our senses and our, our logic and everything, and we do things that we can't imagine we've even done. You've got to get help. Come and tell us and say, hey, get me in touch with somebody. I need people that can walk me through this and help me through it and so forth. You can be helped. But you young people particularly, it's becoming almost faddish. I'll just take life. That's a cool deal now. I'll just get through this life. Christian, you will regret it. And by the way, if you come to the point and you say, okay, I'm going to just take my life. Oh, I know it's wrong and I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Then it could be making you suspect whether, am I really a Christian? Because a lot of people think they're Christians and they're really not. And one of the evidences of not being a Christian is by the way we live. And so I wouldn't run into it so quickly and so with such confidence. So all that to say, get help. But please don't think, somebody commits suicide, well, that's an unpardonable sin. It is not. Let me just add to that little list, putting yourself in needless danger, injury or death. And one other, excesses or deficiencies regarding diet or exercise, whether it be alcoholism, gluttony, obesity, chemical dependency, all those things. Pistols. Now, that's the bulk and the majority of the things that we're going to talk about, but I got to put the other two in before we close out. They're brief, but they're important. A lot of people think, oh, the way you, the way you kill people is with a pistol. You can also kill people with put-downs. That's going to be our number two, put-downs. We're not talking here of physical assassination, but we are talking about character assassination. Look at Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Here, Jesus says, you have heard that the ancients were told. That, that's a little indicator. Uh-oh, this is not the truth that's about to follow. 
you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Though that is true, but it's been taken out of context. He says, so I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says to you, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. This is a progressiveness thing. First the court, Supreme Court, fiery hell. Mm, bad, but just bad, uh, real bad, extremely bad. Do you know what it's talking about there? It's talking about, okay, you get angry, simple anger. Okay, that's to be equated to murder. Wow. But let's take it even to a deeper degree. And that is, what happens when you come to the point that, that you say, raka? Well, raka is an insult. Not just being angry, but now it's, it's gone to the point your anger is going to cause you to insult somebody. Raka means empty head. It literally means stupid. Now, we can use the word stupid. That person was stupid. Don't think that's wrong. That's not it. But it's where anger is pointed, and you accuse someone in such a way to say, you are whatever, and it, it strikes the heart, and it hurts so deeply. He says, don't do that. You want to go to the extreme of extremes? Then, then you call somebody a fool. You know what fool means? Moral moron. That's the heart. That's the, that's the toughest of, of what I would call character assassination. Have you ever had your character put to death by somebody? Somebody ever taken and just shot you right in the heart with an accusation that's not true? I tell you what, it does hurt. A, a mild story, I, I was coaching my son's little basketball and you had to, you had to ref the next game afterwards. I'm refing and no big deal. And I, this lady, she, she is wearing me out. She's in the stands and she's wearing me out. <laughs> and I'm, I can take that. She's thinking, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not good. Bad call, bad call. I can take that. Okay. By the way, they weren't bad calls. But anyway, <laughs> I had to go up to the I had to go up to the clock to talk to him for a minute, and the lady's sitting right here, and now she takes it to another level and says, you're a cheater. You want that team to win? I didn't know which team was which. I could care less. You care, you did and she didn't let me have it. Man, and now we're talking a different story. So I remember I, I just walked over, and I walked up, and I went through right to where she was, and I said, ma'am, apparently you think you can ref a lot better than me. And what you've just said and you've now attacked my character. You've called me a cheater. So I said, here's what we're going to do. And I took the whistle off, and I put it on her. And I said, I'm going to let you go, and we're going to let me talk about you now. Well, she put that thing back to me. So I get to the office the next work day. I'm at the office, and I'm talking to my assistant. And uh, my assistant said to me, well, I heard you had a little event episode at your basketball game. I said, well, there was a little event. What, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I heard you kind of put this woman in her place. I said, well, I did. You know what she did? And I said, oh, do, 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 do. And I'm going to like that. So, yeah. She said, well, I just let you know that's my sister-in-law that you did that with. <laughs> now, on a heavier side, I had years ago, I had somebody in one of our congregations, we were a multi-congregational church at that time, and one of those people intentionally and knowingly and even admittingly later, 
allowed me to be accused of something that had everyone so hurt with me and so mad at me. And, and I found myself crying and hurting in such a way that I, it, I, I tell you, it hurt me as bad as when my father left our family back years before. But I'll tell you what, character assassination, God says, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. And I want to say this. That's happening in our homes, spouse to spouse. And it shouldn't be happening. And any who are looking to our spouses and wearing them out verbally and putting them down and calling them names and cursing them and threatening them, it's just murder, 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 murder. And I'd say to any of you, you come. You have church authority. You have government authority. You get help. Don't let them just beat you up. It's not right. It's wrong. Now, there are many different ways. They're included under this. There's envy, hate, bitterness, resentment, all kind put downs. But we got to close. Let's, let's hit passivity very quickly. Number three, passivity. Murder by omission. Allowing others to die by negligence of our personal responsibility. There are five ways, and these fives will clo close out passivity. I'll just read them. Number one, not providing for the needs of others when capable of doing so. I won't look at the text, but in 1 John 3, 15 and following, it's a, a very interesting. It says if we see someone in need and we can meet that need, and that's really a need, they something they truly need, and we've got the means to help that person and we don't, it says that's hate. And then the text says, and hate is murder. Now, I was a math major, many of you know, and we learned something early on. A equals B equals C. Therefore, A equals what? C. So withholding from people in need, God's Word says murder. It would be cradled under that under that same law. Number two, mercy killing. Well, aren't we all baffled by God's ways? And here, we're finding ourselves now certainly feeling, why, what's wrong with mercy killing? Well, God says that's not our right. We're not, people are not our creation, they're His. And, and so that's not our call. But Carol and I were having a discussion last week or so, and, and, and we're talking about somebody, and she said, I understand why people would say, yeah, let's, let's, why would we have mercy killing? But that's not our call. Number three, silence regarding injustice, and whether it be social, moral, or judicial action, silence there. Number four, killing one's body by neglect, whether by the way we eat or the way we, we uh, fail to exercise or whatever. Number five, killing one's soul by neglect. Failure to daily feed the heart. Passivity. So let's close this out. So who's innocent of murder? Who's innocent? Well, abortion. Well, there are people here that have experienced abortion or they've sponsored it or supported it. But the vast majority of us say, no, no, no. Euthanasia, infanticide, mercy killing. No, pretty good. But what about needless danger, alcoholism, gluttony, obesity, chemical dependency, anger, hate, envy, bitterness, resentment, withholding from those in need, neglect of the soul? Here's the good question. 
Who wants to defend themselves in the courts of God? Well, I've got some really, really good news to close with. The really good news is, Christian, you don't have to worry about that. You've already been defended by Jesus. His righteousness covers your righteousness. We will never have to stand and try to defend ourselves against any of these forms of murder. Never. Done with. I was journaling a thought that came to my mind last week. And this is what it is. I said, now that I'm a Christian, when I sin, God is not disappointed in me. Do you find yourself believing that God's disappointed in you? Oh, look how I did this. Oh, look how I broke this. Oh, I've done this. I just heard these six things. I know I've done that. Oh, no, I, I know God must be disappointed. Let me tell you, you have got the wrong idea about God. If that's what you think, as a Christian, God is disappointed in me. I went on to say, he's not disappointed in me. He is disappointed for me. Because what he wants, he wants more than anything else. He wants what's best for me. And he says, oh, I see you violating the laws of God. And it's so taking away from you the life that I have intended for you to experience, even in pain and suffering. But life, that's what I'm giving you. Life, joy, peace, all those things, they're yours. But you can't go outside my laws. It's not going to work. You've got to keep seeking to be, and then realize as you violate him, no, don't think I'm sitting there saying, boy, can't, no, I'm disappointed for you. I'm not disappointed in you. No, I completely embrace you because of the work of Jesus. Put it another way, you matter to God. And seeker, same thing, you're his creation. He, he doesn't want to slap you around and make you feel bad about No, he, he wants you, and he's calling you to say, come to me. That's why I say, go to the cross of Jesus. See the love his son has given. And you see that love. See if it doesn't cause you to fall in love with him and go to the law and say, oh, how I love your law. Because it's your law. Go to Jesus. It's always the answer. Go to Jesus. And see his great love. God's law is our friend. Don't ever forget it. It's our friend. Thou shalt not murder. Thank you, God, for giving me that word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we ask you now that you would forgive us as we see the many ways that we have violated this law of murder. And we pray that you would give us a sense of just how disappointed for us you are, but not disappointed in us. And I pray that you give us joy and delight because of that and that alone. That you might restore us, forgive us, in the sense of bringing back that fresh relationship with no barrier. I pray, Father, for those here that are seeking to understand the faith, confused whether they're Christians, I pray they might just... Go and see what you've done, the great love you've offered, and in light of that, to fall in love with you. Pray for next two weeks, big and challenging weeks in this series. Pray you would grant it to be a good time. We pray all in Jesus' name.
Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.